0: We are actually right in the middle almost, aren't we? Uh, week four is almost. There's no exact middle. I guess Wednesday this week will be right in the middle of our series on Gospel-Centered Life. It's a nine-week series, and uh, this is week four already. So that's good, because we're almost halfway through it. I've shared with you before, and I'm not sure if you are like I am, it's always fun to start something, and then you get about halfway, and then you're kind of ready to wrap it up. Do you feel that way? And then by the time you get to the end, you're kind of done with it. So this is good that we're halfway through the series. Not that it would get old maybe, but it just feels like a good spot to be in right now. We're doing this not just here on Sunday mornings, but also in family groups. I'm not sure how many of you are in family groups right now, but I'm gonna, I said I'm going to ask this every week. I'm going to ask it as well today. Does anyone have something they would like to share from family groups this week with, the, with everyone else? You don't have to kind of a quiet week this week of family groups. I know We met and we uh, had great conversations about the material this week, but hopefully you're getting something out of that time together, and I know that uh, it's been a blessing in so many ways, and maybe a re-examination of why we believe what we believe and what that, how that matters or why that matters to our daily life, which is where the gospel is to be lived out, uh, not in our heads and not in theory, but in practice. So we're kind of getting to the meat, I think, of where we're heading here in the series, well, here's the next question, and I asked this last week. I'm going to ask this every week. What is the gospel? Huh? The good news. That's good. Glad you're back, Lori. I missed you. What is the gospel? Come on, it's not your question. Do you remember? It's about Jesus. I'll give you a hint. <laughs> Are you tired of the textbook answer, Carrie? a <laughs> little. All right. All right. That's right. That he came, he lived, he died, he was raised. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. Where can we find that in the Bible? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm so glad that you knew that. And we were talking about 1 Corinthians 15. And I said, yeah, but you know what? We're not going to look at that today. But I hope you remember that, that, that's where it's explicitly laid out, that Paul writes it to the church in Corinth, and he says, here is the first thing I taught you, and it's the most important thing you'll ever know. So no matter how far you get down the road with Jesus, the most important thing you'll know is the gospel that you received and believed, that Jesus was born, that he lived, he died, he lived a sinless life, he died, and he was raised again. That's the good news, the most important thing. This morning, we're going to start a little differently. We're going to start here in the book of Romans, talking about what is the gospel, and it's going to be in uh, page 781, if you're using one of our Bibles, if you have your own, it's in the first chapter of the book of Romans, I'll give you a minute to find that, and I'm just going to read through this, and we're going to do the same thing now for the next three weeks, we're going to focus on this text, and we're going to go through here and just hear what the word says to us, this is Paul writing again, he's writing to to Rome, and this is what he says in the 16th verse of the first chapter, he says, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or it means from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith, right? That's two verses in the first chapter of Romans. And this morning, I want to just think about what Paul's saying. We've said the gospel is about the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the textbook answer. And Paul says that's the most important thing you can remember about it, the thing I taught you first and foremost. But here Paul says this. He says, I am not ashamed of this gospel. It means I don't put it away. I don't put it down. I don't hide it in my back pocket. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The good news is the very power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That means if you believe it, it is saving you, the gospel is. And you go, well, yeah, I know. The God. No, it's a big deal. It's, it's, it, it's, like, it's like a stick of TNT, right? We've talked about power. It means dunamis, like dynamite. It means it's explosive. It's, it's, it's compacted down in this little message that we can just take it for granted, But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very power of God to transform the lives of people, to save them from themselves, to save them from the world, and to guarantee them eternal life. It's kind of a big deal, the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it, because this is where we find power from God. This is where people come to salvation through Jesus Christ. This is where we find hope for eternity. We're talking about a gospel-centered life and why it needs to be knit into everything that we do, everything that we are, everything that we have. And that process is a process. It doesn't happen instantly when you receive Christ. But he begins to weave himself into intricacies of our life, the, the quiet places. You know, we talked before about we don't want people who are acting right but completely lost. Far better that you would be completely lost and acting lost so we would know where we each other are and we could help each other in our journey with Christ. Far better we'd be honest and let's live from the inside out, not the outside in. You know? Let's don't wash the car and polish it and not change the oil, right? Let's worry about what's inside first. The gospel works from the inside out. And in that place, you see, it becomes less about this artificial religion. It becomes less about keeping one another happy. It becomes less about getting approval from whoever we need approval from so life can be easier here. And much more about us truly being shaped and transformed by the God who has spoken. Spoken this gospel of Jesus. It has to be integrated in our lives. And I'm not even going to say it's your work. It's the Lord's work in you. It's the Lord's work in me. I'm saved by grace through faith, Paul says. Right? Nothing to do with it. He's saving me. May his name be praised. So here's another spot we have. We can look at what the gospel means. A definition of the gospel is the very power of God. I'm going to read more time. The very power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We're going to spend a few weeks there. So this book of Romans is an interesting place, actually, to look at that because Romans was written to a, a group of people who were struggling with what it meant to be a Christian. They were struggling with what it meant to apply this to their lives now. Specifically, they were struggling with what it meant that they had the law and the gospel. And how do they ever match these things up anymore? And some of them were pretty convinced that the way you do that is you just keep applying the law, keep applying the law in addition to the gospel. But as we know, any news that's not good news isn't the gospel. (laughs) Any news that tries to add something to what Jesus did isn't the gospel. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how right you think it is. It's not the gospel that will save you. It's not the gospel that will transform you. It's our own desires to try to please God through our efforts. It's not honoring to him, and it brings him no glory. So as they struggled to put these things together, Paul wrote this letter to Rome, and he, he tries to help them understand how these two things kind of mesh together, you know, how they kind of combine, how, how they, they feed into one of us. We're going to spend some time today talking about that very thing, about the law and the gospel and how they interact together. As we open the word for today's lesson, let's, uh, let's go to him in prayer, trusting him for his guidance this morning. Uh, Father God, we come today claiming no wisdom of our own, no knowledge of our own, no special you know, trickery that we've gotten figured out, Father God, but totally dependent on you, completely and utterly waiting for you to speak. You are the God of all creation. Uh, the fact that our lips can even praise you is a gift from you. The fact that our spirit compels us towards you is a gift from you. And today we just pray that the thing that we're created for would just come forth in us, that we would be turning our eyes towards you and your glory and your truth. Speak today, Father God, to our broken hearts. Speak into our broken lives. I pray for healing where we need to be healed, Lord, in your name. I pray for hope where we may don't, maybe don't have any right now, Father God, to your glory. I pray today you would have your way. Open our minds and hearts, open your word to us today, and we'll give you glory and praise because you're so worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if you guys have ever tried, you know, we're talking about the law and the gospel. I don't know if you guys have ever felt compelled to get something exactly right. I mean, have you ever really had to do something or, or face something and you really didn't want to get it wrong? Have you had that experience in life? Has it been something you thought, man, I can screw up a lot of stuff, but I can't screw this up. This has to be perfect. I don't know what it is for you. There's not many things that we stop that long to think about, maybe in life. We do the best we can, you know. But sometimes something comes in front of us and we think, we've got to get this right. We've got to get it perfect. That's kind of how the law was. It was this word from God that we had to comply to perfectly. You know, when Jesus lived among us, he spoke to the Pharisees as much as anybody else. We talk about the lost. And he said, I came not for the healthy but for the sick. And yet he would rebuke the Pharisees on a regular basis. And I want to tell you this morning, these Pharisees had it together. They were living the law as perfectly as anybody can, as anybody could. You know what? we kind of look down our noses at him, but it's great. Have you ever seen somebody do something excellent in an excellent way? Like, you know it when you see it. It's just beautiful. And I'm sure if these guys were here today, we would say, like, boy, you want to be like Job over there. Man, that dude can suffer like nobody's business. You want to be like Joshua. Man, he is brave. You want to be like Moses. He is tight with, you want to be, and you would put these people up on pedestals. And they earned it. I'll tell you a, a story I was thinking this week. Um, I had a chance to interact with some of, the, uh, some of the high schoolers and stuff, and it brought me back. And, and matter of fact, Nathan being a freshman now, it brings me back to my own freshman year. Some of you who know me, you're going to think this may be funny, but I was really bad at math in middle school. It's funny, right? I mean, I was really, really bad at math in middle school. I tell you, long division, I mean, it still gives me hives. I can't stand long division. Remainders, are you kidding me? That's why God made calculators, right? And, uh, and so I was going through school, and I was doing the best I could, but I just hated it. I hated I hated it, and I got to be honest with you. And so they were starting a new program the freshman year of high school that I went, and the program was called Elementary Algebra, all right, and, and and my eighth grade math teacher, who was also my gym, uh, my football coach or something, I don't, you know, what I mean one of those deals, and he he had assessed me, and I wasn't very good at math, and he was right, and so he recommended Bill would be a great candidate for elementary algebra, and I was like, man, make the pain stop, like I'm cool with that. I don't care if you call it, you know, slow one on one, man. If if I can keep up, I'm there, you know, and so we. I go, and I sign up for this class. Turns out, I'm great at algebra. Like, it's a whole different thing. Algebra, I just get it. And so I get in this class, and there's these students who are just like cross-eyed, looking like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Their heads get explode, you know, and everything. And I'm just like, I love it. I'm, I'm like, I'm like... You know, I don't know what I'm like, a supercharged motor. I'm like a cheetah running through the woods. You know, I'm just like tearing up, like, yeah, this is good stuff. You know, my friends, by the way, all went to regular algebra. They're pretty miserable. You know, and I'm hearing them say, boy, this is tough. But I'm just eating it up. And after maybe like the fourth or fifth test, where I get, I don't know, 110, 120, better than perfect. For a kid who wasn't good at math, it felt good. So the teacher for the class, she sets me down and she says, You know, you might want to consider transferring to regular algebra. I think that your eighth grade teacher made a mistake. And I said, no way. (laughs) No way. And uh, it's not just because a lot of cheerleaders were in elementary algebra either. Although, I got a chance to tutor a lot of them. But man, I had 110% and I wasn't going to let it go for nothing. Go back to 80s and 90s, forget it. And I didn't. And I took two years of elementary algebra and I just blew the doors off my GPA, you know. It was great. And, uh, and, you know, it was God's plan for me. But there's something about doing something really well that just makes you love doing it. It makes you passionate about it. It makes you excited to show up. And I'm sure that with these folks who are following the law, it was the same way. I, I don't know for you if, if, you know, if it's like golf. I, I mean, I don't golf, but I, I hear people shoot under par that blows my mind under par isn't par average Uh, come on you shoot under par or maybe you you have a performance review at work and, and I used to go through these and we had like one through five everyone got fives like it was amazing but we had hired all the best people in everything it was a miracle until the company forced distribution on a bell curve Which means, for those of you who aren't good at math like I wasn't, right, that there are people on both sides, somebody has to get a one, and like one person gets a five, and everybody else gets a three, a four, or a two. And most people get threes. Well, let me tell you, review times became a lot more hostile around the office. You know? But the people who had the fives, you could tell. They they weren't complaining about the reviews. They were kind of quiet because they were doing it excellently and they were rewarded for it, recognized for it. Or maybe it's the perfect date, and that's the last one I thought of. something in our relationship that we just hit it, man. We just, a great date, you know, and they, they, they get rare. The <laughs> older you get, great date. It's an achievement, something to be proud of. Well, this is the mindset of these, these folks who have been following the law. And if you can imagine, for thousands of years, you're following the law, this law that God spoke to Moses on the mountain. It's a big deal. You're going to be pretty reluctant to let it go. And you've got this new guy, Jesus, and he's saying, I've come to complete, to fulfill the law. But they're hearing him say, I've come to abolish it, to wipe it out. And so they begin to get really uncertain about where this is all heading about what's going on. And so here's the gospel and the law, and they seem to be in contradiction to one another. And so this morning, we're going to try to see how the law compels us to the gospel, and the gospel compels us to the law, sort of. So we're going to go there, right? Well, here's the lesson this week, and and it came out of our our study materials, but there was kind of three steps to achieving a perfect 10. How do you do it? How do you get a perfect 10 as a believer in Jesus Christ? How do you get a perfect 10 as a follower of Yahweh, the creator God? And so this material this week, we shows us three steps. And the first is this. And I'm kind of going to go through these, and, and it's a little trite, to be honest with you. But it means know the law. The idea is that if you read the First Testament, if you know what God requires of you, if you know how holy he is, that top line, you're going to start to understand that you can't make it. You can't get there. And so the first step is to know the law. Now the law will then compel you, this, this thing goes, towards needing Jesus. That's how the mechanism works, right? And, and, and something about that, it's very true. Something about that didn't start right with me, though. And yet, here, I want to share a scripture with you. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to turn myself real quick to Matthew 18. This is Jesus, right? And he's talking to this guy. We know this story as the story of the rich young ruler, so you're going to be able to mentally follow me if you've been in church for any time at all. And this is what Jesus says. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? By the way, let's not miss this. is a big question. This guy's coming and he's saying, he has authority. He has possessions. He has a lot of stuff. And he says, what do I have to do to get eternal life, to inherit eternal life, to have it given to me? And this text goes on in 19. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And in the middle of this list of the things that you do and don't do, the guy says, wait a minute. All these I have kept since I was a boy. Right? Now, some of us want to say, like, yeah, right, dude. All those you kept since you were a boy, like, let's just read the list again, you know. I mean, uh, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder. Those are, you know, do not steal, like, never anything, really. Do not give a false testimony, like, you never spoke a word. You've always honored your father and mother. But this dude says, yeah, I've always done that stuff. Matter of fact, it's his position now. I've kept these things since I was a child. And when Jesus heard this, he said something. You lack one thing. We won't even go there, though. Because I want you to recognize that even Jesus said, here's how you find righteousness, right? You know the rules. What are the rules? And the guy says, I've kept them all. I've kept all the rules. So Jesus himself is testifying to the validity of the law. I almost didn't do this series this season. I almost did a series on the Ten Commandments. That would have been fun, huh? The Ten Commandments. Who knows what they are, or who knows where they're found? Exodus, yeah. Exodus twenty. Who knows what they are? Who can be number one? Do not have any other gods before me. I want to read. I want to read it here. Watch, check it out. I am the Lord your God, the Lord says, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Right. The first thing is, he says, I'm the one that released you. You shall have no other gods before me. Right. That's the first. What's the second one? Do you know. No, yeah. No idols. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything, listen, in heaven above or earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You know, that song we sang this morning, you don't hear the word jealous used a lot in worship, do you? He is jealous for me. Does that resonate with you at all? You know in your life when you're going through and you're making poor choices and it starts to feel wrong, it starts to feel bad? and you wonder what's going on with that, do you know God is jealous over you? Do you know what matters to him if he's staked a claim in your life and you're not living in a manner that's glorifying to him? I love that, that, that verse this morning. For I am a jealous God, he says. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Man, it's a big deal if you can live perfectly with God. It's a big deal. A thousand generations are blessed by your right living. What's the third one? Don't use the Lord's name in vain. You shall not miss. Listen to this. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses His name. I love that it's. We don't take His name in vain. We don't. We don't carry it somewhere in a manner not glorifying to Him. I think it's a lot more than what we make it to be. What the fourth one? One, two, three, four. Yeah, the Sabbath. Yeah. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you will labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you will not do any work, neither you, listen, or your son or daughter, not your manservant or your maidservant, I know you all got a few of those, not your animals or the alien in your gates. For in six days, listen, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in him, but on the seventh day he rested. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. You know, I was talking to somebody this week. And I said, I'm convinced that so many of us, if we were God, we would have got done creating in the six days, and we'd have thought, let's go ahead and work a little more. We can do a little better, can't we? The Lord just rested the seventh day. Not us. We're far too important, right? Far too busy. There's always more to be done. Resting on the Sabbath day is the seventh. Right, this is the fourth. Wait, one, two, three, four, five. Where are we at? This is the one the dude kept. Yeah, honor your mother and your father, right? Some moms and dads know that one. You know what the fifth commandment is? I got it memorized now, Nathan. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. It's the one that comes with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, you live long in the land. How about six? They get faster. Yeah, don't murder anybody. Seventh, Don't commit adultery. Yeah. Eighth, don't steal. That's right. Not even the little office supplies. Number nine. Yeah, don't lie. Thou shalt not. You should not give false testimony against your neighbor. You know? Boy, we could dig into that one for a while too. And number 10. What is it? That's right. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his manservant or his maidservant or his ox or his donkey or his car or his really nice in-ground swimming pool or anything else that belongs to him. That's in there. You can look it up later. Exodus 20. There's the 10 laws. The 10 laws. But you know what the truth is? That wasn't even enough. They went ahead and made 613 more. They did. They just, you know, start making rules for stuff. It's the way you live. Step one the score of perfect 10 is to keep the law, to know the law, to live the law. All of them. And that's why that answer from that rich ruler sounds so crass. Really, you kept them all? I've kept all of these. Man. Well, I haven't. Well, the second one is this. The second one is this. It's it's being, uh, what does it say there? Be freed in Christ. So the first is to know the law, and you haven't kept it. And if you've not kept any of the things I just read, or if you've not kept any of the 613, you are a transgressor by the creator God. There is no hope for you. There is no respite. There is no no salvation unless you decide to keep his laws perfectly. So if you decide to say you can do that, well, then have, you know, good luck. I don't know what to say. You know, go do that. Man, it's a tough road to go. So there's this thing in Jesus, the Christ, who we say lived a sin, sinless life, lived perfectly. He kept the law, and then he died for his sins. But he didn't have any sins. He died for ours. So in Jesus Christ, the law is kept, and he gives that to us. How, must I have, how can I have inherit, inherit eternal life? Jesus says, follow me. And you'll have it. That's what he tells that young guy. Just come follow me. You'll have it. And we find there this freedom in Jesus. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 is one of my favorite little passages. It says, it's for the sake of freedom that you were set free. Do you ever wonder why Jesus made you free to run, free to live, free to love? For the sake of freedom, nothing more. To be his children, to be glorious to him. You know, we were talking in our house, and some of you know we had this little dog. This this dog glorifies God so well just by being him. There's there's nothing that he does or doesn't do. You know, he doesn't put a mask. He's who he is all the time. Lays in the sun. He's so lazy. I'm like, do something. You're part of this family stop eating and you know using the bathroom and produce contribute it's glory to god and you and I are created in his image i'm not saying don't do anything i'm saying do it for the glory of god live out of this freedom in christ it's for the sake of freedom that you were set free galatians tells us and in the third one we're going to get around here cuz I want to talk because this third one is this gift of the holy spirit right And this is where the real dunamis, the real power of the gospel comes into your life. It's living a spirit-led life, right? Living by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where this material gets a little, I don't want to say difficult, but, you know, because now that we have this gift in Christ, the perfection of the law, the law is met, the need is met, the obligation is met, and if you have it, you've met the law, and if you don't, you've not met the law. But now you have not just the gift of Jesus, but Jesus says, I'm going to send my spirit to live in you, to dwell in you, to live through you, and you will be able to make right choice. Someone said to me this week, you know, I'm tired of us always saying that we have a right to fall down. I'm frustrated with that because we've been given the very power of God to live rightly and we're not using it. Does that make sense? It's not just that he saved you from the law, but he saved you to be able to be right by the law. Well, that's crazy. Who wants that perfection up there again, you know? Once you meet Jesus and you know you've got it, who wants to try to strive for it again? Nobody, and you shouldn't. But you should live in the Spirit. You should live compelled by the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit will direct you to the fulfillment of the law from your heart, from the inside out fulfilling the law of love you know Paul says that in Romans 13 he says it's that that's the obligation we still have all the obligations of the law he says have passed away except loving others that's the gift that's what we're compelled to do the gifts of the spirit so here's the question then and this is where i think the problem comes for us right we were lost And then we were found, and we received Christ. And oh, what a day, what a glorious day we had peace with God. Do you remember it? Do you remember the absolute relief, the sheer pleasure, the ecstasy of being related, knowing, being forgiven? And we go from that place of just, like, locked up with God, like, man, I can't believe it. You can't stop us from evangelizing. We can't tell enough people how cool this is that we know Jesus. And we begin to impose the law back, just like the Romans were doing. That's great, man, but, you know, you've got to clean up your act a little bit. That's great, but there's about 613, well, no, 614 laws. I'm going to add another one. Pick up your room. I don't know what it is. You know, just make another one up for us. We need one, Lord, to help us out. And we don't allow people to just live in the spirit of God, to trust God, not just with the salvation, but their transformation, their sanctification. So the question is, what do we do? Return to the law? Go back to, let's look at the Ten Commandments. Have you kept them? Let's look at the uh, 613 additional laws. Have you kept those? Let's look at all the expectations we have at Family Bible Church of you. Have you kept those? No, that's not what we're going to do. Here's the issue. Two texts we'll look at. There's two major flaws that come with this. Returning to the law, fulfillment of the law, and it's this, legalism and license, right? And the first is legalism. Is two major errors that we find here. And legalism, we're going to look here in, um, where's it at? Galatians. You can turn there in your Bibles. Paul's going to write to the church in in, in, uh, Galatia, and he's going to be instructing them here. On, um, on this idea of legalism. He also does it in Romans, but we're gonna look here at Galatians. And this is what it says in chapter three, verses two through five. Actually, let's back up and do verse one as well, because I love the way he rebukes us here, right? You foolish Highlanders, who has bewitched you before your very eyes was clearly portrayed Christ crucified? I would like to learn just one thing from you, did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Aren't you, are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human efforts? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it is really for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you keep the law or because you believe what you've heard? I don't know how many of you were preached into the kingdom by being condemned by the law i don't know i know i wasn't it was grace through faith that jesus came to me it was this place of holiness of righteousness of a gift of a love that i couldn't overcome i couldn't deny and that place my spirit compelled me toward the one who made me and we were united again whoo you know it's a big deal And it's not about the law at all. But yet we turn and we say, well, now that we know Jesus, we have to be legal again. We have to be lawful again. And we begin to impose legalism on one another and ourselves. Let's stop. Let's don't do that anymore. Legalism is one of the failures that we have to trust Christ, to trust his crucifixion. How do we receive the spirit of God? By keeping the law, are believing what we heard clearly we've got it by believing how did you find freedom how did you come to it i want to go back to one verse right before you can keep your bibles right there it's a it's chapter 2 verse 21 paul says i'll never set aside the grace of god Because if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Jesus died for nothing. If you ever have a temptation to make a a legal ruling, I'm right because uh, I know I've done good because I've kept these laws. The Ten Commandments, I got them. I got the two. I got the one, I got the two, I got the ten. 613, 614. My parents think I'm cool, you know whatever it is, my wife, my husband, think I'm the coolest thing now. Don't do it. Because here Paul says, he would never set aside the grace because if we set aside the grace, then Jesus, our Savior, died for nothing. If you don't need him now in your walk, his sacrifice was meaningless, pointless, Worthless. The second error is on is, is the other side. And, you know, we, we find ourselves kind of tottering between these two areas. And uh, the first is legalism, like we said. You know, just kind of, here's the rules. You know, get right. Get right. You know, and, and we do it all the time, all everywhere in our lives. We expect people to, to meet a standard that we are imposing on them that God doesn't demand to receive grace. Second is this. It's license, right? And that means, man, God can forgive anything. Like, that's the gospel. And if you believe that God can forgive anything, it doesn't take long until you start to think of things you could go and do and get away with, does it? You know, I can go and do whatever I want and get forgiven. I'm telling you, I was raised with a faith that believed you sin Saturday night, you confess Sunday morning. And man, we were glad to have it, you know? Literally, in the middle of sinning, we would be saying, this is cool because we can get out of this tomorrow morning. No problem. And I believe that he was forgiving those sins. It is true. They were not unforgivable. And yet, we were treading all over the grace of God. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 6. This will be our last text today here. Romans 6. Paul addresses the same issue, right? Because he knows when people hear there's a law of grace, that you don't have to do anything to be right with God, you can just receive it from Jesus, that there's no sin that's unforgivable, you might be tempted to go out and sin on purpose. Paul actually says, you know, do you think if you keep sinning more, there'll be more grace? That's true. Is that what we want to do? Listen to what he says in verse one. Well, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No way. No way. We are dead to sin. We, how can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. You know, a few weeks ago after one of these messages, I was talking to somebody and they said, one of the biggest problems we have as Christians is we don't know that we are new creatures in Jesus. The old has gone away, the new has come. And that's what Paul's saying here as well, that we have died with Christ and been raised again. And if your life doesn't make sense anymore because you've met Jesus, it probably shouldn't because it's a new thing. It's a new creation, a new fruit of the living God. Being raised to the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. In verse 5, if we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection, because we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away with, it might be killed, it might be finished. The old sin is gone, that we should no longer be slaves to it because anyone who has died has been freed from their sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live in Christ. For if we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again and death no longer has mastery over him. The death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And that's our call. That's your call and my call, to live a new life in Christ. And it doesn't mean that we have a license to do whatever we want. It means we are free to be obedient. We are free to pursue. But it doesn't mean I'm going to impose that on you. And you shouldn't let other people impose it on you either. One of the most exciting things that I see as a pastor is I see people who are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to convince me that you're a believer because I see it in your life. I see it every day. You're not the same person anymore. I can't even make sense of some of the choices you're making right now because the world would say that's a bad idea. You're throwing it all away. And in that place of your life, God is glorified. People know that you couldn't do it. It's not a license to get away with murder. It's the right to live as children of God. In this way, we turn, you see, back toward the law. We don't don't aspire to it. We don't say, boy, there's a list. We're going to hit our mark. That's not what we're trying to do. By living the indwelling spirit of God, by living it out of our lives every day, sometimes shirking off these, you know, chains of men that are put on us, we bring glory to God. We're fulfilling the commandments, the law that's written in our heart. In the end, the question is the same. So how do you get a perfect 10 as a believer? You need Jesus. It doesn't change. You don't outgrow it. You don't get beyond it. We always end up there at the cross of our Savior. In Romans 5.13, Paul confesses this. He says, sin came before the law. You know the problem with obeying the law is that there was sin before the law was even written down. Paul makes a point. He says, Adam died from sin, and everyone died till Moses, and Moses brought the law. That means death was there and sin was there. It's still there. And the need you have is not a need to fulfill a bunch of written rules. It's not a need to live up to a bunch of manly standards, but it's a need to be right with God and inherit eternal life. The way is Christ jesus and we never get beyond it our whole lives i pray we just keep circling back around the gospel if you find yourself getting too far away circle back around the gospel if you find the cross too small go back to the gospel it's more than enough